So the year is 2002. We're in Blytheville, Arkansas, and 18-year-old Luke Pruitt has just graduated from high school. In a couple months, he'll be leaving his hometown of about 15,000 people to go to college in Jackson, Tennessee. Up to this point, Luke's led a pretty small town life. He's never been on a plane. He's never been to the ocean. And all that's about to change. But what he doesn't realize is that this move will set him on this 13-year quest, a journey to challenge an assumption that many 20 and 30-somethings like me just take for granted, that life in the city is where it's at. And that journey will take Luke on a nearly 8,000-mile road trip to the heart of a capitalist yet socialist dinner club, and most importantly, to the subject of a Johnny Cash song. So, if you, like me, have ever uttered the words, ugh, the suburbs, buckle up for an episode all about place and our favorite buzzword, community. My name is Ngofen Putubwele, and you're listening to The Power Is Out, a podcast that tells the stories of 20 and 30-somethings engaging the people and problems around them, which is a really great thing, except that sometimes it can be pretty challenging. Today's story unfolds in two parts. Part one, I'm going to Jackson. Part two, podcasting your place. Luke Pruitt, as you probably figured out, is the main character of our story. I'm a Delta kid, uh, as in the Southeast United States. I grew up in a little town called Blyville, Arkansas. Luke spent almost his entire life living in and around the Mississippi Delta. But what you may not know is that Jackson, that town he moved to for college, that's my hometown. So, tell me about Jackson, because mm-hmm. um, I know about Jackson, and you know about Jackson, but probably 75% of the people listening have no idea about Jackson. Mm-hmm. So, this is the home of Rockabilly. Uh, um, <laughs> what is Rockabilly? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I moved to Jackson, Tennessee in seventh grade. It's where I went to middle school and high school. It's where my folks live. Jackson's population is about 70,000, and it's about two hours from Nashville and an hour from Memphis. It's in western Tennessee, uh, which is a semi-hilly part of the country. It's like the gateway to Tennessee becoming what people think of Tennessee as. It's got a minor league baseball team, a couple colleges, a Panera. So it's a lot bigger than Blytheville, Arkansas, but it's not a big, huge city. It's something more in between. But most importantly, Jackson, Tennessee is the place that Johnny Cash was singing about in the song Jackson. If you want to argue with this, anyone out there, then I can show you like video proof. (laughs) June's joking on an NBC show about Johnny being in Jackson, Tennessee with Carl Perkins. I met up with Luke when I was home visiting my parents. We met at this place called The Co. It's this restaurant-turned-co-working space in Jackson. Luke came in sporting a flat bill hat and a backpack. He's got bright red hair, this gregarious personality, and a mischievous grin. And it was pretty obvious early on that talking to him would be a lot of fun. Luke's actually 33 now, but our conversation centered on the move that he made when he was 18 and how that changed the next decade of his life. It all starts with Luke's freshman year at Union University in Jackson. There, he becomes friends with this ragtag band of college guys, one of whom drove a minivan. So we had a 93 Aerostar, and my good friend, uh, Nathan Michael, who's 6'7", he's like, looks like the Norwegian dream. Blue eyes, blonde hair, just hilarious guy. He got his family's minivan. We went on a road trip to Dallas, and when we got back, it was so much fun. We're like, let's do this more. And so the travels begin. 
in that same minivan. Now, to give you a mental picture here, a 93 Aerostar, it's one of those vans your parents drove you to soccer practice to back in the 90s. So imagine four college guys pile into this minivan and naturally they drive across the country. And so over the course of the next three years, we went to 49 states. On weekends, on holidays, skipping classes every once in a while. They went to California. Slept on the beach in San Diego. Traveled to the Northeast. Went through the largest uh, snowstorm at that time that had occurred in a decade. And for the grand finale, in case you missed it, you said you guys went to 49 states. You went to, you drove to Alaska? We drove to Alaska. You did not drive to Alaska from Jackson, Tennessee. Yeah, me and my buddy uh, tore his ACL and he needed to have surgery. Like that that was the medically responsible thing to do. (laughs) And two of us were engaged. And so we were kind of like hedging anyway. We didn't really want to do it. And we had already done 48 and it just felt like, you know, let's just call it. And man, our guy, Tony, he like was not gonna not go. And so like he postponed uh, ACL surgery, which I think still has repercussions for his knee <laughs> to this day. And we went, man, we drove up oh my there. Gosh. It, was, it was crazy. That is so crazy. You drove to Alaska from Jackson, Tennessee? In a 90, 93 Aerostar <laughs> with 300,000 miles on it. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's the oh my gosh. Okay. All those college travels changed Luke a lot. He starts going overseas, France, Honduras, Mexico. So by 2006, senior years rolled around, and he's faced with a pretty significant choice. A choice that, to understand the weight of, you gotta picture what it's like to be a senior in college. It's spring, it's warm, and people are getting ready to go places. You've spent the last four, five, or maybe six years of your life living in this town, and now your friends are moving off to start their first job, to do Teach for America, go backpack around Europe. And in this environment, faced with the choice between your college town and going elsewhere, what would you do? Now, you'd expect that for a guy like Luke, a guy with this newfound love of travel, you'd think that the decision would be pretty clear. Go. But no, he stays. Plus, it wasn't just Luke. A lot of his friends, many of whom were in that same ragtag band, they stay too. And the thing is, most of them aren't from Jackson, so it's not like they're staying because they've grown up there or their family's there. That would make sense. Which raises the question, why stay? This is what I was curious about. And the answer I found was a whole lot deeper than I'd expected. Community. When I think of community, two basic ideas come to mind. First is good times with friends, like all of Luke's crazy road trips in college. Second is the idea of living life together. And in the first few years of Luke's life in Jackson post-grad, there was a good bit of that. The best example is probably the dinner co-op that he and his friends started. Started out honestly for like very practical purposes. I mean, we wanted to be communal. We wanted to be cool, but we were all really broke and like had a lot of kids. I mean, like tons and tons and tons of kids. Did I mention that Luke got married, by the way? Shout out to April Pruitt. And pretty soon they had kids. This felt like a way that we could eat really well. What what was your normal routine? Man, (laughs) if you're listening to this, you need to like cancel dinner plans and call your friends and start doing this. It's called food for all. The concept is perfectly 
based in socialism and capitalism at the same time, right? <laughs> so it's it's communal, mm-hmm. but it's also a closed circuit, right? So there's like a certain number of people that are involved, so it's predictable how many people are going to be at dinner. Four nights a week, Monday through Thursday, this group of friends would get together and have dinner at each other's houses. They'd rotate from house to house. You use the classic uh, food scheduling, takethemameal.com. You schedule when your meals are going to be. Each person's responsible for three meals every six weeks. But in return, you get 21 free meals. You can pick up dinner and go, or if the host is cool with it, folks can stay and hang out. The best thing about it is it ensures that you see each other consistently. Um, Because if you don't work with somebody or you're not in an organization with them or a religious service or whatever, like you can go a couple weeks without seeing your friends and like your whole life can change over the course of two, three, seven days. And so we were literally living life together, living those changes together. It was beautiful. Of course, this whole living life together thing isn't just about the good times. For Luke and company, those group dinners persisted through all the hard times as well. Broken relationships, family illness, conflict with friends. And it's that persistence of friendship through good and bad that makes community such a fulfilling idea. And yet, for Luke, there'd end up being more to it than that. And this was tied, in part, to how people would talk about Jackson. All these people would say, I love my friends. I love my life here. Man, this town sucks. And like, that's incongruent. Like, how can that thing be? These are the questions Luke would spend the next few years mulling over, trying to figure out what makes a place valuable. In a minute, how podcasting in Jackson leads to unintended consequences. More when we get back. So it's 2012 and Luke's been living in Jackson for about 10 years now, working at Union, where he went to school. Now, after several years of working in residence life, he decides to make a career change and go to law school. A decision that came with some fear and uncertainty. I think at the time, worst case scenario, very much looked like I make a big deal out of going to law school. People get really excited about that feels monumental to people around you, you know, and then and then I just can't hack it. You know, I just can't, I can't make the grade or, you know, whatever. And then like, you know, can my wife trust me? (laughs) You know, like what if I fell at this? What if I get a semester in, it doesn't work out? How's that going to go? So those kind of fears. Luke and his wife, April, start looking at law schools, but seeing as there's no law school in Jackson, the closest one's an hour away in Memphis, they're going to have to move away. But then something happens. I had a really good friend who, whose dad was in a terrible car accident. And so we started a charity basketball tournament to raise funds for, for the family. And right as I was about to apply to all these law schools, uh, this tournament was going on. And my 
oldest son, who's three at the time, is or two. He was running around the gym, and everybody there knew him and loved him. And you know, there's a hundred people there, and my wife and I looked at each other like, how could we ever leave this? And so Luke and April decide to stay in Jackson. And it's not that Luke wasn't going to go to law school. He was going to go. It's just that he gets in at the University of Memphis and then lives in Jackson, commuting an hour each way for three years, which means lots of time to listen and think. As the semesters pass, Luke's listening to podcasts a lot, reading a lot, and soon it's almost like this theme begins to emerge in the things he's taking in. The beauty of the mundane, the ordinary places. He hears it on the podcast, This American Life, sees it on Choose 901, this blog in Memphis that's building pride in the city. He reads it in the works of Wendell Berry, a professor who leaves New York to go back to his family land in Kentucky and writes a lot about the idea of place. And so Luke tries to start finding the stories in the places where he is, Jackson. Welcome to our Jackson home, front porch discussions without the front porch. Today on the board, we have my partner and Mike, I guess you would say, yes, Luke yes. Bruitt. This is Our Jackson Home, a podcast that Luke and his friend Jim started to tell the stories of Jacksonians. We'd like to introduce our guest here today, author, sculptor, painter, musician, songwriter, all-around Renaissance man, Mr. Craig Davis. How you doing, Craig? Just fine, Jim. How are you? Luke and Jim start talking to them about their stories, how they ended up in Jackson. And what they realize is that Jackson's actually this wellspring of deep thinkers, artists, writers, it's just that for many of them, it's not their day job. Wow. So with that being said, Just the Sea, tell us a little bit about this song. Well, the song is based on uh, a Tennyson poem. It's about a man who's got this wonderful young wife, and he's a sailor, and he gets shipwrecked on an island. And he's gone. He's stuck on this island for like 10 years. And then he's finally picked up, and he goes back home, and he spots his wife. And she's off with another man, and there's children there, and he basically he turns around and walks away. So the song kind of came out of that, you know, applied to a more uh, modern uh, time. All right, here's Lord Tennyson, I mean Craig Davis, with Just the Sea. After their first interview, Luke and Jim post the audio online. Uh, somehow a few people found it, listened to it, and I was like, oh, it's... <laughs> and then we did another one, and it, it was, like, fun. And then at that point, it just got addicting to where we just did nine of them. Jim, meanwhile, was, like, behind the scenes, like, calling the newspaper and letting them know this thing was happening. I mean, I, the name just kind of came to me as, like, a fun name, a way of, like, owning this place like like we're gonna put a stake in the ground and like say this place matters and it's awesome and so people began to rally around that people like katie howerton a senior at union university who ends up helping our jackson home to create its own magazine featuring short stories essays poems and interviews with local business owners 
Like Luke, Katie'd had her own evolution in her understanding of community. Community is never a word I used growing up. Now I can't imagine like explaining it, somebody not understanding what community is because I've experienced it so much in Jackson. This kind of, you know, commonality of we just both live here, but also this commonality of we live here and we're going to act like we do. I feel like there's this kind of something that's in the water with the young people right now. College kids who step outside of their comfort zone and get into the town ask the question like, what if people are more important than where I am? And I think that's kind of what I had to learn is uh, my whole college experience, I had said, I want to go to these cool places. And, you know, I was thinking about even making a travel magazine and I would write up all these little blurbs about travel. And I kept coming to the conclusion of like, the value of a place is is based on the value of its people, you know? And every place has people and every person is valuable. And I just kind of had this realization that the whole time I had been here, I had been, you know, what I thought was just downplaying the city, but really was downplaying the people that has, have built it. There was one question I wanted to ask Katie, though. What do you do with the cynical listener that says, like, okay, so our Jackson home is basically like a bunch of hipsters get together <laughs> and, like, hipsterize the city, <laughs> and then it's great, like, community. So, honestly, that was a big tension I had, and and that has been a big fear of mine. I mean, it's been... <laughs> It's been tricky, but I, I, what I really hope, instead of like hipsterizing people, is that I hopefully dignify them, like that they see, you know, my friend Charlie, who we did a, a piece on in this last magazine, when he sees a drawing of him on the cover, when he sees his frame shop that is really just this little place on the side of the road that not a lot of people who are my age know about, it looks like this beautiful place that it actually is, because I have a talented photographer going there, I have a talented writer asking him questions and artfully putting them together. Um, so we hope that it makes people feel really proud of what they do and where they live. By nine months into the project, our Jackson home has become this vehicle for writers, photographers, teachers, parents, all types of people to express why it is they live where they do. When did you or how did you realize that it was like starting to like stick, like it was working kind of? Um, I think the fact that like, I was pursuing really talented people to be on our podcast. And like every one of them said yes, every single time. And like, sometimes I didn't really know them that well either. And we, you know, it was like, we do it on a Saturday morning in a tiny little house, you know, and, you know, in Midtown. And it's, I don't know, it's weird to go over to somebody's house. You don't know that well. It's kind of a, it's not a very 21st century thing to ever happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if everyone who we invited, you know, our first 12 or so guests even really listened to podcast, but man, like people were just, ex- people were excited that someone was excited about them, you know, and then they would come in to the room with some hesitancy and some obvious feelings of they're doing this out of charity almost in a way, right? Like, uh, you know, you know, these guys. I'll give them a shot, you know. And then by the end of our hour with them, like, they were moved. So that was just cool. Like, that I just knew was meaningful. And I knew I wanted to, like, spend a large portion of the rest of my life doing that.
By the time R. Jackson Home is in full swing, it is Luke's last semester of law school, meaning he's thinking about post-graduation. His plans are pretty straightforward. Work at a law firm in Jackson where he's got a job lined up and work on R. Jackson Home, among other things. And just as things are going well, everything's coming together, Luke gets thrown a curveball. Shortly after graduation, Luke finds himself at dinner with this guy named John Carroll, the director of an organization in Memphis called City Leadership. City Leadership is the organization that had created Choose 901, that blog in Memphis that Luke liked so much and helped inspire the idea of our Jackson home. So John, the director, pitches an idea to Luke. Why don't you come join our team? In other words, you know all that community building stuff you like? Why don't you come do it in Memphis for a living? For Luke, that offer is the dream. Using all these things he's been developing since he got to Jackson, caring for a specific place and its problems. But still, Luke spent the last 13 years of his life at this point trying to articulate why life in Jackson is valuable. And just as he starts being able to do that, here comes an offer to leave. And so he's faced with this choice, pursue these passions that inspire me or stay in this community that I love. It's not unlike nine years earlier when Luke had had the choice between staying in Jackson after graduation or pursuing a new adventure elsewhere. That time, Luke had chosen to stay. This time, he decides to go. Luke told me it was a pretty hard decision to make. Taking the job meant leaving a group of friends that had become family and a place that he genuinely loved. But it also meant pursuing a new opportunity that seems right. I can relate to that feeling. Still, like me, Luke carries along Jackson with him wherever he goes. The people of this place, particularly the people that mentored me, are so into the fabric of myself. In the same way that when I look at my sons, I see my father and mother, and I see my wife's father and mother. In their behavior and in their interest, I see my mentors from this place. They are them, many of whom they've spent really minimal time with, but I'm them. Mm-hmm. So that's the way that Jackson changed my life. There's a certain irony in Luke's story that by caring for one place, he ends up going to another. But that irony isn't lost on Luke. I think what's intriguing to me is that it actually fits into his understanding of community. That that community you care for, that place, it can change. And the place I've really come to now is it doesn't really matter where the place is. And it doesn't have to be the place you grew up. I I think one of the things that Barry actually emphasizes too much is like this forefathers concept. And a lot of people don't have the option of forefathers, right? Like where they are presently at like you have to flee a country or you don't have a ton of money or you went to college in another place and so we don't need to rewrite our histories to where like the place we grew up is the only place we can ever thrive rather if you are in a place for a moment for a long period of time for a lifetime whatever you should try to make that place better during that time in which you're there. And so that's how place matters. I think ultimately the way in which we love ourselves, the way in which we love our friends, the way in which we love our enemies, the way in which we love our family the best is by caring for our place. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. As always, if you have any feedback, thoughts, story ideas, let me know. 
You can send me audio comments by downloading the app Anchor and looking me up my name, Ngofen Putubwele, or you can send a voice memo to Ngofen at thepowerisoutpodcast.com. That's N-G-O-F-E-E-N. Our music today was by O Sister Brother, Wood Spider, Dr. Turtle, and Tom Cody. For a full transcript of every episode, check out thepowerisoutpodcast.com. And also, do me a huge favor, subscribe, and write a review in the iTunes store. It'll help out a ton. Thanks so much. Please leave your message. This is Stephen Ellis from Richmond, Virginia. The Power is Out is produced by Gofen Putubwele. Editorial help this episode from Tyler Yoder. Mixing by Nathan Hack. Don't forget to check out the episode description for the full music credits and more info on how to stay connected. See you next time.